If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. A message entitled, The Normal Christian Life. Do we have any of the building, anybody in the building who is normal? If you will, if you found Colossians chapter 2, let's stand and get our scripture in front of us. A message that I think will both be both challenging and helpful today. The normal Christian life. We pick up in verse 6, read down through verse 15. Paul writes and he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by, by putting off the body of the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set aside, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to, sh- to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll take this portion of your word. In fact, I pray that you'll take your word this day, both this morning and tonight. And I pray that you'll open our eyes to truths that you need us to see. We pray that today that we will measure our lives according to your standard for what the normal believer, the normal follower, the normal person who where's the name Christian should be. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Even as I wrote this title, I was aware that normal means different things to different people. What does normal mean to you? When you hear the word normal, does it mean uh, just kind of even kill? Does it mean natural? Does it, what does it mean well, when I think about the word normal, it's just been my personal experience. There's no science, this is no scientific uh, algorithm. Just in my, put my uh, experience, I've seen a lot of pushback when you use the word normal. Because then people go, well, who is to say what is normal? So then somebody said to me, well, maybe you're just talking about average. Well, I think average and normal are two different things. But I did a little research and I thought, 
I figured you needed it as bad as I did. There was a um, there was a book. There is a book entitled "In an Average Lifetime" by Tom Heyman, and he gives us some interesting statistics. So you just enjoy it for a second. Did you know that the average blood pressure is between is 130 over 84? Did you know that the average major league batting average is 280? I can tell everybody's getting excited in Alabama where football is king talking about the batting average of major league baseball. But now we get to some things that really impact you. Did you know that the average American will earn over $1.2 million in their lifetime and they'll pay 178000 in taxes? Now, some of you are saying, I am low on the income side and I'm high on the taxes side. Could I get an amen? The average American will drive 413,000 miles. I'm way above average there. And waste nine months sitting in traffic. This is one that you'll appreciate. The average American will spend 49 hours seeing the doctor but they'll spend 64 hours waiting to see the doctor. The average person will spend over 13 years watching television and change the channel over 325,000 times. Now, there's some wives here that say their husband's way above average there. Yeah, I got you. All right. The average American will wait, will, will, Spend five years waiting in line and three years in meetings. The average, I thought this was curious with what I just read about uh, our, um, what we affectionately call or unaffectionately Obamacare, uh, that uh, lifetime should be 75 years. That's written in that law. On the average, an American will celebrate 74 birthdays. How many of you here are beyond average, right? And they will uh, uh, receive 333 birthday presents. Now, let's see. Let the, something that teenagers can get their hands around. Teenagers, the average American in a lifetime will eat 1,279 pounds of snack food. And 403 pounds of those will be potato chips. This one confused me a little bit. The average American will have 60 cavities filled. Now, we only have 32 teeth. What are you, some guys doing? <laughs> and they'll have 11, 11 teeth extracted. <laughs> you don't really want, this goes in, uh, this goes into the category of TMI. And for those too old to know what that means, it means too much information. The average American during his lifetime will spend seven years in the bathroom. The average American woman will weigh herself 8,491 times. And men are going, I believe that. Well, men, you'll weigh yourself on the average 9,815 times. We'll spend 24 years sleeping and have at least 1,947 nightmares. This is interesting. The American man will spend 126 hours in his lifetime crying. And the American woman will spend 476 hours crying, probably over those men who should be crying. You understand what I'm saying? And it's true that the American will laugh about 410,000 times. I thought that would be helpful for you as we talk about average, but average is not necessarily the norm. There's a difference in, in, in being average and being normal. I mean, average is skewed. It's a mathematical, you know, it's a mathematical equation. You add 100 plus 200 plus 300, 
and the average is 200. You add 50, 100, and 150, the average is 100. The average can go up and down, but the norm remains the same, particularly in the life of a Christian, particularly with what we're talking about, what it means to... I don't use the term Christian much because I think that's, a, that's not what we do when we pray to receive Christ. I don't believe particularly we become a Christian at that point. We become a believer and a follower of Christ at that time. And down the road, we gain the, the privilege, the right by how we live of, of having that title bestowed on us as Christians. That's what happened in Acts when they were called Christians in Antioch. They were called by the non-believers because they acted and responded so much like Jesus. And the normal Christian life, as God sees it, I suggest to you today, is much different than the Christian life, the normal Christian life that we perceive. Brother Terry probably heard Vance Havner say this, but he said it several years ago. He said in his own dialect, he said, you know... As Christians, we have been subnormal for so long that if we ever got to be normal, society would think we were abnormal. So today, let's take a look from this text about what it means to be a normal Christian. And by the way, what we're about to say, some of you are going to go, Well, Brother Jerry, that's all the super Christians. That's the preachers. That's the deacons. That's the teachers. That's the evangelists. No, according to God's Word. It's people who follow Christ. I'm going to offer you four quick thoughts. And you, I say quick, and you think I don't know that, but, you, but we're not going to hover. This is not something I need to beat into you. It's something we just need to have in front of us. The first thing that I see here, we find down in verses 13 through 15, is what I call the directions. The directions for the Christians. Now, it could be the instructions to the Christian. It could be the directions of how to become a Christian. But it certainly is direct, it's directions for those who claim to know Christ to see whether we really are His or not. And when I read verses 13 through 15, one thought comes to my mind. Here it is. Don't forget. I'm afraid many of us have forgotten. Many of those who in this room who at one point you prayed to receive Christ and you were baptized, so you think you're good. But the truth is uh, we forget We forget what we were, we forget what he did, and we forget how he did it. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us in verses 13, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses. Can you say the word dead with me? Dead. You know what the truth is? The Bible tells us that before we meet Jesus, that we are dead. We are without life. We are lifeless in the spiritual realm. It means without life. It means absence of life. And by the way, when you don't have life, you have no hope. Hello? When you're not breathing, you don't have any hope. And you go, Brother Jerry, you believe that? I believe that since the Garden of Eden... We as human beings have been separated from God. And as the Scripture says in the Old Testament, we've been walking in darkness. And left to our own devices, we will walk in darkness. Don't forget what you were. If you know Christ, 
Don't forget what you were. If you've never come to Christ, don't forget what you are. The Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sin. You have no hope. But watch here. Don't forget don't forget what you were. Don't forget what he did. Watch this. And you who were dead in trespasses and sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. The only one who can raise somebody from the dead is God. If you know God through Christ Jesus, he didn't resuscitate you because you had never been suscitated to start with. The truth is, he came to you and he brought life to a dead person. Now, the problem with that today is, we think we know life. We cannot come to grips with the term, with the, with the knowledge that we do not know life the way God's going to give it to us. We can exist here on earth. We can, we can get married. We can have children. We can have money. We can have everything that we think we need, but, but I'm going to just tell you something. This physical life on earth, it is a poor, it is a poor example of life as God wants to give it to you. See, don't forget, don't forget where you were. You were dead. Don't forget what he's done, that he, that he has given you. He's made you alive together. He did it and nobody else can. Just like when Jesus was in the ground and God said, hey, Jesus, son, come forth. And all of a sudden, that dead body came to life. Just that same power that raised Jesus is the power that it takes to change you and me from death to life. Don't forget where you were. Don't forget what he did. And then don't forget how he did it. You know what the Bible tells us right here? God made us alive together with him, having, watch this, forgiven forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling even the record of the dead. That stood against us with its legal demands. And we'll get into that verse a little more tonight. But for our sake this morning, here's what I'm going to tell you. It is the cross of Jesus that he's talking about. When Jesus spread his arms, that's when you were redeemed. Robert in the choir sang it so well. I am redeemed. Why? Because Jesus gave his life. Because God sent his son. The directions for the Christians are to begin right there at the cross. That's why the cross is a place of victory. Almost 40 years ago now, I walked into a funeral. And I heard a little red-headed girl who would later go on to sing with the Jimmy Swaggart team. She sang these words. I find victory, real victory, when I kneel at the cross. Lost in the beauty of its holiness there. Bonds are broken. Doubts are driven, hearts are mended, and spirits lifted, because I find victory when I kneel at the cross. That's why for years we've sung, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. Tonight we will sing, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Till my trophies at last I lay down. And I will cling to that old rugged cross. And one day I'll exchange it for a crown. You see, folks, it is at the cross. The starting place for the normal Christian is at the cross of Christ. Coming there, a dead person. God in his power, forgiving your sins. Canceling your debt. Canceling even the record of your debt. And giving you a life in Jesus. That's the starting point. 
That's the directions. But then you go on in this scripture, and you go back to where we began in verse 6, and you'll find the development for the Christian. The development in the Christian. You know what? Too many people come to the altar or they bow their head and they pray and they walk through the waters of baptism and that's all. That's it. And they take their seat and they drive. When I read verses 6 and 7, I am reminded that our Lord expects us to develop, to grow, and to mature just like we expect to see our children or our grandchildren mature. Piper came to see us Thursday night. He was with us Thursday night, some Friday. Looks, we've not seen her in quite a while now that they've moved down to Brent. And she looks like she's grown two inches. Now, in our joking, we tell her that we want her to stop growing, but our heart is never for our kid to stop growing. Because that means they're normal and they're healthy. The only people who stop growing are people who are impaired. Paul got frustrated at the Corinthians. And he wrote to them, and he said, man, he said, here's the truth. I couldn't address you as spiritual people. I could not address you as mature people. I had to address you as worldly people, or really the word is infants. I fed you with the milk because you couldn't handle spiritual food. A few weeks ago when we were there for the surgery, we got, I got to spend a lot of time with my three-month-old grandbaby. You know what all he wants? He wants his bottle and sleep. You know what? That's cute now. But it won't be cute one day if that's all he ever grows to. How sad it is, if we think in the physical realm, how sad it is to see someone who is mentally and physically and socially impaired. Most of the time, those folks can't help their situations. But I'm going to just tell you something. Those people who are impaired... They are not the norm. Can I say that again? Don't be offended. They are just not the norm. But I think it's sadder still. And by the way, those folks who are mentally, socially, physically impaired, they can't, they can't help themselves. They can't help it. But how, sad, how much sadder it is when you look around and you encounter people who are spiritually impaired. Spiritually dwarf. And you know that they can help their situation. Verses 6 and 7 gives us the plan. If you read it, it says, Therefore, as you have received, or since you have received Christ Jesus, it speaks of your personal decision that we just talked about, that you've invited Christ to your life. Since you've received Jesus, walk in Him. To walk in Jesus is to realize what we read back in verse 27 where it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of this culture. Christ in you, the hope of this church. Christ in you, the hope of this community. Christ in you, the hope for your friends. Christ in you, the hope for your family. It is Christ in you. I mean, after all, when you prayed to receive Christ, the decision was to follow Christ. And so when we follow Christ, all of a sudden we're, we're blooming where we're planted. Look what it goes on to say. It says, walk in Him, rooted, built up in Him, established in the faith. 
Last week we talked about that root system, but I want just for the Sunday morning crowd, I want to just ask you, the deep roots of your life, what does it go to? What are in the deep roots of your life? Whatever the deep roots are, that's what controls you. Some people have their deep roots in their sports team. Some have their deep roots in their financial security. I had a man tell me just the other day, he said, you know what? He said, I had my deep roots in my financial security, and then the stock market fell. That'll humble you. And I'm glad to say that today he has his root system in the Word. You see, the normal Christian, now watch this. Hang on. The normal Christian has deep roots in God's Word, deep roots in the Spirit. That means he has deep roots in the church. That means he has deep roots with the family of God. That means he has deep roots with, with Christ. You see, folks, too many, too many people today are trying to get deep roots without ever getting in the soil. Let me just explain it. I'm just going to say this to you based on the authority of this word. The church is Christ's bride. You want to get deep roots in Christ? Make his bride your top priority. We'll hear a message about seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, before too long. Because I fear that we have reached an age where teenagers and young adults and older adults, the center point of our lives is something else besides the church. How many times do I hear senior adults in particular, those my age and older, saying, I remember when this whole community centered around the church. Now, please don't say that to me because I'm going to just tell you what I'm thinking. I probably won't say it. I'm going to go, yep, you're right. And at that time, the leaders... And the members of the church centered their lives around the church. Hello? And when the members and leaders center their lives around God's church, why in the world, what are we thinking to think that the community is going to do something we don't do? You see, the development of the Christian is that your roots go deep. Your roots go together. You know those redwoods out west? I am told, I'm obviously, I have a brown thumb, I don't have a green thumb, but I am told those big, tall redwoods out in the west that when their roots go down, that they're interlocked with the other trees. And so now they have a support system that will let them grow tall. Try to get a redwood to grow by itself and grow that tall. What will happen is when trouble comes, the tree will fall. You see, when we have our deep roots, when we're walking with Him, when we're maturing, and our roots are intertwined in our Bible study, in our growth, in our fellowship, in our discipleship, and in our worship, boy, what a great time of worship today. It's been a long time since I sat at the keyboard playing, and tears were brought to my eyes because I sensed God being around us so much. But when our roots grow together, and they're, we're strong, when times of trouble come along, We'll make it through. Oh, by the way, one other thing it says here in verse 7, it ends with abounding in thanksgiving. Aren't you thankful that God wants to do this in us? That's the normal Christian life. We've developed where our root system is together. 
But I want to say this to you. Whether you choose to do that or not, whether you make that decision to follow Christ and to make him the centerpiece of your life, if you sign on for what, what the Lord has called you to in changing your life and coming to the cross, being saved, walking with Christ, making you alive, growing in him, dangers are going to come. Dangers are going to come. When you look at verse 8, it reveals that to us. And I'm just going to say this to you. To the, to the one who has trusted Christ, to the Christian who doesn't develop in the faith, your danger looms large. To me, verse 8 is a sobering verse. This translation says, see to it. Other translations say, beware, take care, take heed, or even watch out. Watch out what? It says, take, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit according to tradition and the elemental spirits of the world. May I just say this to everybody in this room? If you are not careful, if you are not on the lookout, you can well be taken captive by the thinking of this world. Their philosophies, their deceit, their traditions, and those elemental spirits will take you captive. I don't really want to be offensive, but I want us to hear the seriousness. We're in a war, in a spiritual war as believers, because Satan doesn't particularly like about it. You can call him what you want to. You can call him Satan. You can call him Lucifer. You can call him the devil. You can call him whatever you want to call him, evil one. He's not happy when you choose to try to live a normal Christian life. And he's going to bring his attacks on you. And he's going to do his best to take you captive. Now, how can we illustrate captive? I'll tell you what jumped to my mind. Is this group that we're watching with disdain, ISIS. They have their captives. But it doesn't have to be there. It can be now. It can be Korea. It can be World War II, World War I. When you're in a war and you get taken captive, you know what happens? You lose your freedoms. You lose your right to really be a person. You lose your right for your opinions. You lose your right to go and do what you want to do. When the elemental things of this world take you captive, you will lose your freedom. And when you lose your freedom. Life as you know it will be miserable, if not over. And make no mistake, Satan will stop at nothing to make this happen. Be rooted, be grounded in his word. Dangerous work. The last thought that I want to give you today is what I find in verses 9 through 12. It's the description of the normal Christian. It's just the description of the normal Christian. 
These three verses, 9 through 12, present to us a picture, a portrayal, a caricature, a description of what is, should be the normal Christian. And I want to say this. This should not be the super-Christian. This should not be the spiritual giant. This should be, according to God, the life of the person who chooses to follow Christ, the normal Christian. Because, you see, the normal Christian should have a singular focus. If you look in this, those three verses, 9 through 12, you know what you'll discover? Three times it's spoken of in him. In him... You, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 11, in Him you were, all, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And then in verse 12 it moves to two times with Him. It says, having been buried with Him in baptism, and you were also raised with Him through faith and the powerful working of God. You see, verses 11 and 12 remind us that we have experienced what Jesus experienced. When you came to Christ and you were baptized, here's what happens. is that you were dead. You were buried to your old way of life. And you were raised to walk like you've never walked before. Raised to walk in a new way. You see, when you walk through the... Through the baptismal waters, it is the symbol, it is the outward symbol of an inward change. And I want to be clear here because I don't want anybody to walk out of this building and say, I said something I didn't say. Baptism will not save you. Baptism will not save you. Many people have been baptized as there's never been a change. But I want to say this to you. If you have been saved, if you invited Christ into your life, your beginning place is baptism. It is your obedience to the Lord to show the world. You know, in the early days, you didn't have altar calls where people come and made their public profession of faith. Their public profession of faith was their public water baptism. It is obedience. But please listen. In God's economy, in God's world, in God's school, in God's uh, thought processes, nothing replaces obedience. Nothing substitutes for obedience. Hmm. Not a popular message today. Obedience. But you know the truth? I doubt Jehovah God cares about how popular it is. I dare say that he doesn't stick his finger in the air and see which way the wind's blowing to make his decision. I dare say that he doesn't go down and get some marketing firm to... Take a poll to see what he's going to do. Obedience. Your obedience, my obedience is still a part of a normal Christian life and an expectation by God our Father. Verses 11 and 12 speaks to that. Verses 9 and 10 it's like in the middle of this passage, there's a pile-driving hammer trying to drive home the truths which set us apart from everyone else. I will say that. It's a pile-driving hammer that sets the, of the truth that sets us apart from everyone else. And oh, yeah, well, by the way, please listen. If you've not been listening, let me just give you a little news flash. 
A normal Christian is different from everybody else. They don't go along to get along. They live by a different set of standards. It's not a matter that they're weird. It's just a matter that they're different. And you know why, you know why the Christian, the follower of Christ, should be so different? Let's put it in perspective. We live in a fallen world. This fallen world tends to choose evil before they choose right. And, and, and the truth is, in this fallen world, some things happen that confuse some of us. We live in a fallen world, so here's what happens. Rain, refreshing, which we could still use some to get this ground from being dry. That refreshing rain falls on the just and the unjust just alike. So guess what? Troubles fall on the, ju- on the just and the unjust, the saved and the lost. I mean, there's this deal. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, first of all, to tear that, that question apart, who said that you're good? You know what the Bible says, James? It says we're all sinners. The Bible says there's nobody righteous. Oh, we don't want to swallow that. So the better question might be, why do bad things happen to godly people? No, we've got a question. And here's why. It's because this world's not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The truth is, in this world, bad things happen to godly people because we live in a, in a fallen world. That's one reason. In our congregation this past week, you take the past month, you can really expand it. We've had deaths, just traumatic deaths, not, not expected at all. Rod's back there, and we all love Rod and Hope and their influence. He lost son, young son. I've, I won't forget driving up to their house, talking with him on the porch. And he said, well, let me tell you where I am, Brother Jerry. And I said, go, Rod. One of, you think, one of the things I love about Rod and Hope is they're not church broke. All they know is to tell you what's in their heart. And he said, I am now to the place where this is not God's fault. Talked to Bill Severance yesterday who lost his brother unexpectedly. And Bill said, I don't understand. You know who was there ministering to Bill and helping Bill when I was sitting there? Rod. The person with a broken heart, and yet the anchor in Christ was there helping the person with a broken heart who's anchored in Christ. You see, but bad things are going to happen to godly people, but godly people can handle it because they have the strength. You see, the Bible tells us the normal Christian is filled with Jesus. And thus, the whole fullness of God that is in Jesus is resident in the follower of Christ. And when that happens, our responses, our words, our attitudes change. Ministry is different. Life is different. Attitudes are different. So I ask you today, how about you? According to God's Word, not according to, I'm better than you, Brother Jerry. That's a very low bar. I'm talking about according to God's Word. Are you a normal Christian? Are you living a normal Christian life? You see, wearing the name of Christian, Christian means Christ-like, little Christ. Can you wear the name of Christian and do it honor? If you say, 
Not so sure about that. Let's consider a couple of questions and we're done. First, have you really made your decision not just to be baptized, not just to join the church? Have you made a decision to allow Christ into your life, to forgive you your sin and change your life? Have you come to that place where you knew you were a sinner, where you knew that except for the grace and the hand of Almighty God that you would not make heaven and you would split hell wide open? Have you come to that place? Have you come to the place where you knew that you had to repent, which means turn from your sin, and that you had to confess Jesus as Lord? You had to, you had to invite him into your life. Let me just tell you something. You were dead to start with, so watch this. If you came to that place, you know how you got to that place? It was because God came to you and said, you know, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You need to do something about it. Have you done that? If you say, well, yeah, I did that. Well, then did you follow Christ? Or did you go back to your life? Did you begin to try to get rooted and grounded in his word and his church? Do you follow him with all that you do? Do you follow him with your schedule? Do you follow as he's number one? He don't accept number two or three or four or five. You don't give him what you want him to have. He says, follow me. He says you have to deny yourself, die to self, and devote yourself. And then let me just ask you a little piercing question. If you wear the name Christian, is Jesus pleased with how you wear his name? Wherever you went this week, whatever you said this week, whatever you did this week, he was there. Is he pleased? The normal Christian life, it's about pleasing Jesus while we walk with him. Let's pray together.